Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Now, over the uh, last few weeks, Father Jose has been taking us all on a journey with Jesus, starting in Galilee, and he's gone around Samaria, and now Jesus is somewhere either right before or right after the Jordan River. And most likely, Jesus has been traveling a large caravan of people. And in this caravan, there's all types of people. There's tax collectors, there's his disciples, there's lawyers and scribes, and of course, there's the Pharisees. We haven't been just taking a journey with Jesus to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, but we've also been going on a journey over a number of parables that Jesus has been teaching the people he's traveling with about materialism and about money. And in today's gospel reading, we heard the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man who was placed at the rich man's gate. Now, if you remember from last Sunday, we um, heard Jesus' parable of the unjust steward. And Jesus ended this parable by saying these words, and I believe he was particularly speaking to the Pharisees. He said, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote, be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or in the King James Version, it's mammon, the god of greed and money. Now these words upset the Pharisees, and they, and they had some choice words for Jesus. And the scripture continued and said, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. I can just imagine Jesus standing there and the Pharisees saying all these nasty things to Jesus. And for me, I would have gotten rather angry and probably scolded them right there. But Jesus decided to do something different. Rather than condemning the Pharisees, he gave them one last try. One last chance to try to get the message he was conveying through their thick skulls. It is here that we find Jesus giving the last parable before he retreats into the company of his disciples beginning in Luke chapter 17. Now as we go and break down this passage this morning, I just want to ask you to keep this in mind. To think about who God may have been placing at your gate who God has asked you to minister to. Now, as today's gospel lesson, known as the rich man and Lazarus, we find Jesus actually condemning, but through the parable, the Pharisees, for their love of money and for not showing compassion or mercy or justice to those in need. Now, before I jump into this passage, I want to make it clear what I believe this passage is and what it's not. Because as I read through the commentaries, a number of people saw this as a portrayal of heaven and hell. And I do believe that there's some truths about heaven and hell in here, but I believe that Jesus uses parables 
to teach spiritual truths to us. And in this particular instance, I don't believe that Jesus is conveying a portrait of real people, real circumstances, and a real place. But rather, he is using his parable to teach us deep spiritual truths about the kingdom of God. The story of the rich man and Lazarus is not, I believe, a story of a detailed portrayal of heaven and hell. Now, many scholars actually believe that this parable is drawn by, from a folk tale of the ancient world where a poor man and a rich man, after they die, their, lie, their circumstances are actually reversed. Now, the um, retired bishop and Anglican scholar N.T. Wright actually pointed this out in one of his commentaries. He wrote, It is very well known, it is very well a well-known folktale in the ancient world. Jesus was by no means the first to tell of how wealth and poverty might be reversed in the future. What is different about this particular parable to the folklore that N.T. Wright's talking about is the way that the parable ends. And as we go through this parable, you'll see that unfold. So although that the story is not a literal betrayal of real people, a real rich man, and a real beggar, and heaven and hell, the Jewish people of Jesus' time would have been able to understand and relate to the stereotypical characters that are in this parable of a rich man in purple and fine linen, or a beggar with sores on his body. And of course they could relate to Father Abraham. Now Jesus begins his parable, if you have your Bibles with you, he begins it in chapter 16 of Luke, beginning at verse 19. And the scripture reads, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. In these first couple of verses, Jesus is painting a picture of this rich man. Now, this rich man isn't your normal wealthy merchant that would be living in town. He's very wealthy. He wears purple and fine linen. If you remember the story in Acts of Lydia, she bought and sold in purple goods. And this, these purple goods were dyed with a special kind of dye made out of shellfish and snails, and that only the very wealthy, such as royalty, could afford. And he was also dressed in fine white linen. And this was also a very lengthy process to make this, this kind of linen. They would put the take wool, and they would put it into these clay jars, and they would do all this process, and they'd come out a brilliant white, probably even more white than what I'm wearing now. And this rich man, he also feasted every single day. Now, the word feast is not meant to be used as an everyday event. For example, in the church, today is Sunday. Today is a feast day for us. We also have other feast days of the year, such as Easter, Ascension Day, the Day of Pentecost, Trinity Sunday, All Saints Day, Christmas Day, and Epiphany. And I can just imagine what this guy, this, what, this picture that Jesus is painting of this rich man, it would be like celebrating Christmas or Easter every single day of the year. 
Another example of this is the parable of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son comes back, the father takes a fattened calf and he slays it. And they have this large celebration and feast. Now this rich man, he didn't just have one fattened calf, he had 365 of them. One for every day of the year. And as this rich man feasted, at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. Now the rich man's gate wasn't your normal gate. It wasn't a chain link fence or a white picket fence you might have around your home. This particular Greek word used for gate is used most commonly in the Bible to mean a large gate of a palace. So here's this, the picture that Jesus has given us. This is a man of, close to the wealth of royalty, almost like a king. Now the rich man is not, nor, is not named in the parable, but throughout the commentaries that I read, he was often called dies, which in Latin actually means rich or rich man. And what struck me most about this passage is that Lazarus was laid, he was brought to the gate. He didn't, Lazarus didn't walk there himself and decide to be at that gate to try to get food from the rich man's table, but somebody brought him there. And I believe that Jesus is telling us that the Lord placed him there. That the rich man had the opportunity to take care of this man, to be a servant to him. But the rich man did nothing. And Jesus continues in verse 16, or in verses 20 through 21, to describe the poor man and contrast him with the poor beggar, Lazarus. Lazarus wasn't clothed in purple, li- or purple clothes and what fine white linen. He was, he was clothed in sores, the scripture says. And he didn't feast every day. He longed just to eat. Now, the beggar's name is Lazarus, and this is, I believe, extremely important because it is the only time that Jesus, in a parable, actually names one of his characters when it comes to his parables. And the reason I believe this is important because I think Jesus is alluding to something here. I think he's alluding to this idea that he gives in the Gospel of Matthew that says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, the name Lazarus actually means he who God helps. And as we go on in this story, he who God helps is lying at the gate of the rich man. He's most likely been placed there by his friends. I like to think of him as sick because he has these sores. We don't know where exactly they come from, but they could have been in boils or scar or scrapes. And as he's sitting there, the scripture says that he longs to eat the crumbs from the rich man's table, which are meant for the dogs that are licking his sores. Now, dogs in this culture weren't the pet, they weren't the pets of the king. These were unclean animals that ran around the town and ate garbage and, and whatnot. Wild animals. Now, as I read this part of the passage, there is one particular word that really spoke to me and and struck me. And it was the word crumbs. I was moved by this word because it moved me to look at the contrast of how the rich man treated Lazarus versus the way our Lord treats us. In a little while, we are taking the Holy Eucharist. 
And I was reminded of right after we say, as the people, we say, therefore let us keep the feast, alleluia. And then we acknowledge in the prayer of humble access, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. And then later in the liturgy, we're reminded, yet the Father allows for us to feed on the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. What a contrast between the way the Lord invites us to his table and the way the rich man treated Lazarus. And Jesus continues here to contrast the rich man and Lazarus. In verse 22, he continues and he says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Jesus is painting us a new picture here. He's painting a picture of the angels taking Lazarus up and setting him at the side of Father Abraham. Though it might not be clear to us, for the people of that time, this would have been a, those few words would have painted a much bigger picture. They would have seen Lazarus being taken to a banquet feast in heaven and seated with, uh, with Father Abraham. The word side in this passage is from the Greek, which also means bosom or breast or chest. And the banquet practices of that time would have had the person of honor at a banquet reclining with their chest, with their head rested on the chest of the host. So this, through these few words, is the picture that Jesus painted for the Pharisees and the other people that were listening to this parable. He painted a picture of Lazarus as a guest of honor in a banquet feast in the afterlife. Oh, how the poor man's circumstances sure have changed but also have the circumstances of the rich man. And the scripture reads, starting in verse 23, And in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am anguished in this flame. The rich man is in torment. Not just torment, this word in Greek is also, it can be used torture or acute pain. In other instances, this word is used to describe a, a rack or instrument of torture by which one is forced to divulge the truth. But even in his torment and torture, the rich man still displays his arrogance, shouting out to Father Abraham as if he knows him with a sense of subordination. He still thinks that he has authority in this place. He refers to him as Father Abraham, and he asks him to send Lazarus to cool his tongue, and later to send Lazarus to send a message to his five brothers. In death, just like in life, this rich man treats Lazarus with no respect. He treats him like a slave. Someone he could just boss around in order to do what he wishes. But as this parable continues, 
Abraham explains the true circumstances of where he stands. In verse 25, it continues, but Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from here or from there to us. Now, the rich man assumed a couple things here. The first thing he assumed is that his status in the next life was the same as it is in this. And the second thing he assumed was that he was entitled to some special treatment. That's why he asked Father Abraham to send Lazarus. But Father Abraham explained to the rich man that his assumptions were wrong. And that this great chasm between the two of them could not be passed. There was no way from moving from the torment that he was experiencing to the blessings of the banquet feast at Abraham's bosom. There is no way for Lazarus to come and help this rich man. And unlike, and unlike how the rich man could have helped Lazarus in this life if he had wished. Abraham then tells the rich man how God's word is sufficient. He starts in verse 27 to the end of the chapter. And it reads, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should raise from the dead. Now that folk tale I told you about earlier, this particular story normally would have a similar kind of thing where it would be the person in torment would ask to be able to go back or they would ask to send somebody back to warn people to change their ways. And normally in that particular tale, their wish would be granted. But Jesus takes this tale and he twists it around and he changes it. Jesus ends the parable in a much different way. Rather than granting the rich man's request to send Lazarus to his five brothers as a warning, Abraham rather says, they already have Moses and the prophets who taught us to perform justice for the orphans and widows. To love strangers by providing them food and shelter. And then Abraham ends the parable by alluding to how the Pharisees will still reject the teachings of the kingdom of God even after the resurrection of Jesus. So what is Jesus telling us in this parable? I believe there are three main spiritual truths that can be taken from the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The first is the most obvious. 
And Jesus uh, tells this particular truth in other parables as well, such as the parable of the rich fool who dies and dies with his barns full of wheat and food. It shows us that the things of this world that we have, our riches and wealth, can't be taken with us to the next life. But other than this obvious spiritual truth, there's two others that are deeper spiritual truths that I see Jesus telling us here. The first is that God has revealed himself through his holy scripture. We have no excuse. God has given us the playbook. As Article 6 of the Articles of Religion say, Holy Scripture contain, containeth all things necessary for salvation. If we choose to ignore the Holy Scripture, we are doomed to eternal separation from God. And lastly, which I think is the most important of these spiritual truths other than our salvation, is that wealth without mercy and compassion is condemned by the Lord our Savior. We are called as his disciples to invest our wealth and time into the kingdom of God. I am reminded of my own neighborhood where I live. I don't know about this area, but up in Lancaster where I live, there are many homeless people there. When I moved there four years ago, it would seem every once in a while, every few days, I'd go to the gas station, there would be some, a beggar there. But over the number, last couple of years, it seems to be more and more. And when I was reading this passage, I was reminded of where my wife and my family and I live. We actually live in a gated community. And I, the community is actually gated off during the, day, or during the evening. But during the day, many of these homeless people come in and they scavenger the garbage. And I, I have my own personal way of uh, talking to many of the people that ask for, for money or, or whatnot. I always try to acknowledge them as, as another human being. But often, their lot in life, I become, I've become callous to it. It seems less and less as, as God has put more opportunities for me to minister to these to, to people that are less fortunate than I am that I become a little bit more callous, that I won't stop and talk to them or offer prayer as much as I maybe used to. And as I was reminded of this, it reminded me of a particular scripture in the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. And Jesus is asking us to be different than the rich man, as he says, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It is in this particular context we see that Jesus is condemning the Pharisees. For they are doing... It is not what they are doing, but rather what they are not doing that Jesus is condemning them for. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, who pride themselves in the knowledge of Holy Scripture, that they have missed the spirit of the Scripture. 
to show mercy, mercy, compassion, and justice to others. Now I ask in conclusion today for us to think about those people that have been set at our gates. Maybe it's a single mother that you work with. Maybe it's a family member with addiction or a sick co-worker in the hospital. As disciples of Christ, we should ask ourselves what it is we're not doing. Who is the man or the woman that the Lord has placed at your gate? Just like the rich man already knew the name of Lazarus, you probably already know their name. Will you please pray with me? Oh God, you made us in your own image, and you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Give us a heart for those who are poor, sick, and suffering. Take away the calluses of our hearts that protect us from their pain. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which affect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in the bonds of love and work through our struggles and confusion to accomplish your purpose on earth. That in your good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around the holy throne through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.